Pastor Lynn Andrews from the Wow Ministries with today's message, The Life of the Believer, Part 16, The Passover, Part 3. We continue the series in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 14. The Life of the Believer series, Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 14. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 14. Exodus 12 and 14, hear the word of the Lord. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Verse 16. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. Verse 18. In the first month of the fourteenth day of the month at evening you shall eat unleavened bread. Until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leaven, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves, according to your families, and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised, you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Then you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Now go with me to verse 14. And 
I want to give you a picture of where we are right now. As we are talking, we know that God has commanded that he will go throughout all the land of Egypt and execute the last plague, which is the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn. And what we are going to read is we are going to read that there was not one house in all of Egypt did, that did not have someone who had died. Every single household in all of Egypt was affected by this plague. But on the other side, the Israelite side, we know that mercy was shown to them by God. And God had commanded them and given them the Passover in which they were to execute God's words. They were to put them into actual practice and they were to do them. They were to kill a lamb and they were to put the blood on the doorposts and on the lintel. And the Bible says that as the death angel came, that as he saw the blood, that it would pass over and it would not touch the Israelites. And so here they are. They're in the house. They have done what God has commanded them. Now we have gone through and we have seen how they were to cook the lamb, how they were to apply the blood. We have seen how they were to eat it. We've seen all of what God has shown us is very riches in the scriptures up to this point. And now what God does is he gives a recap of everything that has been said. And that is what it's going to be this morning is a lot of recap. But there are so many new things also that I want you to see. So pay attention. Go with me to verse 14. He says this. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. They were to put this into remembrance, just like the Lord Jesus tells us today as we take the Last Supper, as we take uh, that communion. What does the Lord say to us? Do this in remembrance of me. So just as it was in the Old Testament, he calls them to always remember what he did. And God, in the same way, he calls us to remember what he did. Because what is the body and the blood of the Lord when we take communion symbolizes? It symbolizes what the Lord did, right? It symbolizes his body being broken for us. It symbolizes his blood in the new covenant. It's a remembrance. And so he tells them, So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 12-15 through 15 says this, And Peter was speaking. He says, therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth that you have been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I am gone. What did Peter and all the apostles do? They were constantly reminding the people of what God had done. Many of you might sit out there and you hear the word of the Lord and you say, well, I've already heard that. Teach me something new. 
But do you not understand that God in His Word has to be always reminded to you? And you say, well, why? Because we're sinners. We fall. We do wrong things. We don't live the way that we should. We don't speak the way that we should speak. We don't do all that God has told us to do. And because of that, you have to be constantly reminded. Don't ever, ever say that you're getting tired of the Word of God and hearing the same thing over and over again. Let me tell you something. That very Word is meant just for you. You have to constantly hear it and be in remembrance of it. I always say that there's a scary passage that always, always will haunt you if you don't bring your children, your friends, your family, those you love, and those that you don't even know. If you don't bring them into remembrance, you know what will happen? Judges chapter 2, verse 10. When that whole generation had passed away, another generation came after them who did not know the Lord or the things that He had done for Israel. Isn't that scary? That when we die, these teenagers are going to be the ones that are supposed to inherit the kingdom of God and they're to teach it to their children and to their children's children. And yet, because we don't want to teach the word of the Lord to them, a generation will grow up not knowing the Lord. And that is a terrible, terrible thing. But we see it all over the nations of the world. We see it all over the world where there's generations growing up who do not know the Lord or the great things that He has done. We are to witness. We are to testify. We are to bring into remembrance all that God has done for us. And as we do that, the generation after us will surely see the great works of God. Verse 15. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from all of Israel. Okay, when you look at this, you look at the words here that are spoken. He says here, whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. He is talking about seven days. And in the Bible, if you go from beginning to end, you will see that seven days, like take for instance when God had created. He did it in six, rested in the seventh. That was a full week. That was God's creative work, right? So we know this. It is established a period of time. And if you go through seven days, like take for instance in the latter part of the Bible in Revelation, we know that the tribulation is going to be for seven years, right? And so when you look at it and you see it, seven days is a representation of a period of time. But as we are going to read, you are going to see that it stands for a lifetime when he is speaking about the Passover. Okay, so understand this and remember it because it's going to be very pertinent when I come back to it. Whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from all of Israel. Eating unleavened bread indicates that God's people should not live in sin. That is, should not live a sinful life. 
In the Bible, leaven signifies what is sinful, evil, corrupt, and unclean in the eyes of God, as Pastor Ryan was speaking of this morning. In 1 Corinthians 5.8, Paul speaks of the leaven of malice and evil. The function of leaven is to make something easier to eat. Suppose bread is made without yeast or any type of leaven. This kind of bread would be heavy and hard to chew. But if leaven is put into bread dough, the bread will be soft and easy to eat. The function of sin is similar to the function of yeast. It softens things that are hard and makes them easy for us to take in. The principle of leaven, therefore, is to add an element that causes something hard to become soft. Do you get the application there? Do you understand that? How many of you have ever eaten bread like what they call cowboy biscuits? They don't have any yeast or anything in them. Those are the kind that, that, you know, when you were younger, you would pick up and you would throw at your brothers or sisters because you wanted to hurt them, right? Because they were hard as a rock. Hit them on the, on the, on the counter and they, they make a lot of noise. And, and you try to bite into them and it's hard. And, and, it's, and it's so hard to, to chew. You have to chew it a lot of times in order to digest it. But how many of you ever had those yeast rolls and you get them right out of the oven and you open them up and all that steam comes from them? And you, and you put butter on them and you just, they're really easy to eat, right? You eat them in like two bites. Well, the way that leaven works is just that way. It makes it easier for us to indulge in sin. It makes it easier for us to really uh, do the things that ain't right. And that's why he talks in, in certain scriptures about leaven being a negative. Okay? And so we have to take heed to what is going on in our lives. Because a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. Okay? When the children of Israel ate the Passover lamb, they were also required to eat unleavened bread. We have seen that the feast of the Passover lasted one day, whereas the feast of unleavened bread continued for seven days. Therefore, the feast of unleavened bread was a continuation of the feast of the Passover. This means that from the time we received Christ, and we're saved and had a new life, a new beginning in life, we begin to live a life without leaving, a life without sin. Do you understand that? Well, the Passover is a representation of them killing the lamb and literally eating, digesting the lamb. Uh, kind of like when we receive Christ and he comes to live within us. We receive a new life and it says, behold, all old things pass away. Behold, everything becomes new, Right? And then from that point on, they also had to eat with it bitter herbs, which represented the bitterness of bondage and sin. And that they also had to eat unleavened bread. And that means that when we are saved, our lives after that should be lives lived without sin. Because Christ lives within us. Exodus 13.7 says that no leaven was to be seen with the children of Israel. In our Christian life, no leaven should be seen. It is impossible for us to have no leaven at all, but it is possible for the leaven not to be seen. Although it is not possible for us to be without sin, we must deal with any sin that is manifested, that has shown itself, with any sin that is seen. This means that we are responsible to deal with the sin of which we are conscious of. Whenever we discover something sinful, in our lives, 
we must eliminate it. This, however, does not mean that we shall have no sin. There may be much sin in our lives or in our environment, but we may not be conscious of it. However, as soon as we become conscious of it, we must deal with it. We must forsake the sin of which we are conscious. We should not tolerate any manifestation of sin. In 12.19, the children of Israel were given a strong word. Whoever eats that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or born in the land. To be cut off from the congregation of Israel was to be cut off from the fellowship of God's people. This serious word corresponds to Paul's word in 1 Corinthians 5.13, remove the evil man from amongst yourselves. To put away someone is to cut him off from the fellowship of the church. Do you understand that? Very important. That's the reason why God said it in the old. He says it in the new also. God is consistent. If we tolerate sin in our congregation, it will work its way through the whole church, and it's going to affect everyone. To deal with exposed sin is to observe the feast of unleavened bread. You understand? To deal with exposed sin is to observe the feast of unleavened bread. Verse 16. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, that is a gathering, a meeting, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work must be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared for you. The only thing that they were allowed to do was make the food. That was it. Other than that, there was no other work that was to be done on that first day all the way up to that last day. Because the Feast of Unleavened Bread was for how many days? Seven, that's right. So from the first to the seventh, no manner of work should be done in them. What was he saying? Very simply put, he was saying from the very beginning to the very end, as far as Christians are concerned, we do no work. All of that is God's work. Are you following me? Let me explain. When God saves us, who saves us? Do we save ourselves? God saves us. He who began a good work in you is able to complete it unto the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So whose work is it? Is it ours? It's God's work. So from the first to the last day, it is God's work to deal with us, to deal with our lives, to guide us, to direct us, to lead us. And sometimes we rebel. We have to pay the price for that. But God still is gracious, and he loves us enough to get us on the right path again. But guess what? It's his work. Are you following me? And this is why he says to them, from the first all the way to the last day, and everything in between, you are not called to do work. You are never ever just like the pagans back then in that time. They were always trying to work for their God's favor. They were always trying to buy their God's favor, lowercase g. They were always trying to make their way into their heaven. But you, let me tell you something, you cannot do it. You cannot. All of it is God's work, and if there's any of our work in it, then it's not the true work of God. He who began a good work is able to complete it unto the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is His work. Verse 17. 
So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this same day I have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. So we covered this, and I don't want to make too much of it, because we covered it last week and the week prior. So let me just give you a short version of this. God says that they would observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and on the same day he would have brought the armies out of the land of Egypt. Remember, as God had saved them, as they were calling out to God, and they were crying to be delivered from bondage, the Bible says God sent his deliverer Moses. And it was all God's work. They could do nothing. They could not run and escape. They would be killed by the Egyptians and their great army. Uh, they could do nothing. They were put in bondage. It was only the hand of God that saved them. Okay, But when God saved them, he brought them. He brought them to the wilderness from the Red Sea. And as he closed that Red Sea up, they no longer could go back to Egypt and stay there. And so they went forward. From that time forward, how were they formed? They were formed as an army. And as we told you last week, we hear the song, Onward Christian Soldiers, right? And we sing that song. Why? Well, because we are an army. And do you know that as soon as they were in that wilderness and God had brought them and, and he had shown his great works, then he started guiding them. And you know what God started doing? God let them start marching towards the good land. Well, when they did, Amalek was the first one that came out and fought against them. And they were an army. And yet, as they progressed in their walk with the Lord, God let them fight the battles. But he was always with them. But they had to fight. And just like you and I, as Christians, we didn't do anything to get saved. That was all God's work. And he delivered us from the bondage of the devil. And as Christians, as we walk with the Lord, you know that the more and more you walk with the Lord, the less and less God will have, in a sense, His hand on you. And when I say that, He is always with you, but He allows you now to fight the fight of faith. He allows you to fight on your knees, praying to Him, fasting at times, and doing the work of God. You are just a soldier in the army of the Lord. And you are doing His work. When God brought them out, they were an army, and they were fighting the battles for the Lord. And this is what he says here. I will bring your armies out of the land of Egypt, and therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. They were to remember, and they were to repeat it to their children and their children's children. Verse 18 and 19. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month, at evening. Okay, let me stop right there. The 14th to the 21st, that's seven days, right? There you go, another seven. Just to understand what we were talking about from the first to the seventh day. So they were to, uh, on the first month, they were to eat the, f the 14th day up to the 21st day, they were to eat unleavened bread. And then it says, for seven days no leaven shall be in your houses, since whoever eats what is leaven, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. Now let me tell you something right here. There is two aspects to this and talking about leaven being in the house. Number one was the leaven in the physical house. The Bible says that they were to go through everything and make sure that there was no leaven found in the house anywhere. So they would have to search through cupboards, 
search everywhere. If they had cabinets, if they had places where they stored things, they were to look everywhere and make sure there was no leaving anywhere. What about you? In your house, is there any leaving in your house? Is there any trace of leaving in your house? Is there things in your house that ain't godly? Are there things in your house that just shouldn't be there? Is there things in your house that cause you to think about the past and the memories and all those things that could really bring you down, make you depressed, and have you go into a fit of drunkenness or stupor or whatever it might be? If there are things like that in your house, you need to get them out. We are to search our houses don't even be tempted. Abstain from the very presence of evil. Don't allow those things in your house. Because you know what it is? It's a doorway into your life. A doorway in the sense that we allow it. Whatever we yield ourselves to becomes our what? That's right. Becomes our master. Whatever you yield yourself to, your emotions to, your mind to, your body to, it becomes your master. So we must take precautions as to what we have in our houses, what we are reading, what we are looking at, what we are hearing, the songs that are playing. If they cause you at all to stumble, get it out of your house. The second aspect. Verse 20, you shall eat nothing leaven in all your dwellings, you shall eat unleavened bread. Dwellings also, the second aspect of it, is your body. The second aspect is your body. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says this, Or do you not know that your body is the temple, the house of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were brought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Are you doing things to glorify God with your body? Are you doing things that glorify God with your body? Do you know the reason why he said this? The reason why he was talking about this was about sexual immorality. I know many of you have heard me say this time and time and time and time and time again, but let me just reiterate it so you can never say that you weren't told. Any sex outside of marriage is an abomination to God. It is sin to God. The reason why he was telling them this, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Shall Christ come together with the devil? Certainly not. Shall something unrighteousness come to something that is righteous? Absolutely not. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you are God's. What flows from your mouth? Is it speech that edifies and builds uh, others up? Or is it constant cursing and wickedness that is coming from your mouth? Listen, you're not your own. You're God's. You were brought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. When someone cuts you off, do you take your body and stick your middle finger out the door, the window? 
Are you glorifying God with your body? And everything that you do, you must glorify God because you are not your own. And so he tells us that we are to glorify him. Verse 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. This is very straightforward. And it should speak to every single one of us here. Men, for those of you that are married, you are the heads of your households. You are to pick the lamb, Jesus. You are to make him the Lord of your life. You know what happens? Everybody follows after that. You are to display being a man of God. You are to display and lead them towards God and to know God and to love God, and to honor God, and to call out to God. You are to teach them all these things. Now for those of you that ain't married, you might say, okay, well, wait a minute, I'm not married, and I'm a single mom. Then you are the one who's responsible for your children and them knowing the Lord. And you might say, well, I am married, but I don't have a believing husband. Well, that's understandable too. But you are supposed to be the one that draws them to the Lord. Do you understand that? We are called to draw them to the Lord. And I want to show you what Peter says about this in talking about this. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, write it down because I don't have it up here. I was just thinking of this. It says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct, accompanied by fear, you see that? Women, when you're obedient to your husbands and your conduct towards him is right, boy, you can really win your husband to the Lord. If he is not saved, you can win him to the Lord by your chaste conduct, accompanied with fear of the Lord. You can win him. And for those of you that ain't married, listen. God really wants you to be a great witness to your children. If God sees us and he sees all kinds of lackadaisical approaches to God, well, we'll go to church maybe on Sunday if I feel like it. If I, if I feel tired, though, we won't go. Or if they see you lacking in your love for God, what do you think they're going to be like? If they see you not excited about the Lord, what do you think they're going to be like? If they see you in and out, up and down, and you're not being consistent with your walk, they say, well, why should we? They're not consistent. All they are is hypocrites. God wants us to be great witnesses for His kingdom. And it doesn't matter whether you're married, whether you're single. It doesn't matter if, uh, if you have one that doesn't believe who is your husband. None of that matters. What you need to be is great witnesses for the kingdom of God. And this is why he says, all the elders of Israel, pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families. You are called to exalt Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who was slain for the world. But are we taking it serious? Are you diligent about the word of the Lord? Because remember, what you display to your children 
is what they will become. You ever heard the old saying, monkey see, monkey do? They are watching everything that you do. They're watching every little move you make. And when they see you faithless, they're going to be faithless. When they see you not striving for the Lord, they're going to not strive for the Lord. This should really wake all of us up. Because if you want God-fearing children who love God, then be God-fearing and you love God. Be that great witness to your children. Verse 22. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. As we talked last week, we were talking about the hyssop and how Solomon uh, would talk in great depth about the hyssop, how it was the smallest little plant and that they were to gather a whole bunch of these. And that little, little tiny hyssop, they were to strike the lintel and the doorpost. And we equated it to the New Testament and what was the littlest seed was faith, right? Faith as a mustard seed. So when they struck the lintel on the doorpost, what it was actually saying is that faith would bring your salvation. And so when they saw the blood, it would pass over. And so it says, none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. They were to stay in the house. If they went outside of it, then they were open game. But they were told to stay in the house. They were to be obedient. It wasn't the fact that God, could He have done it without the blood and all of that? Well, in a sense, yes, He could, but no, He couldn't. God can do anything, but He chose to do it with the blood. And I'm telling you something right now. What God was trying to tell the people was it wasn't just about the blood, but it was also about obedience. And they had to stay within the house until that morning time. Take, for instance, Noah's ark. Had anyone tried to open that door and any of Noah or his family tried to go out, guess what? They would have drowned. In the judgment that God had sent, they would have drowned. But the door was closed and it could not be opened. And so they were to stay in the house until morning. Verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians... And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. Isn't that great? We receive the mercy of God. He passes over us. And now when any believer dies and when uh, any believer goes, he goes to be with the Lord directly. And it says that when we receive Christ, it says we pass from death to life. And now you and I, we have that life within us. I know some of you have asked a question. What is so significant about the blood? Everything we see is about the blood. You know, we see, we see that they had to strike it on the doorpost, on the lentil. We see that the blood had to be uh, 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 taken from the lamb. And even if you look at it, the blood, what is so significant? We sing songs about it. There is power in the blood. And when Christ died on the cross, we know that the blood was shed for our sins. But why is the blood so important? What type of power does it have? I want to cover that next week. But suffice it to say this for right now. The Bible says the life is in the blood. 
And we're going to talk about that next week. Verse 24. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. As we're going to read in the law that goes out from God to Moses and all them that are in charge, they are to bind the word everywhere. The priest, he had on his forehead holiness to the Lord written on it. In their dwellings, when they were told to, to put it everywhere, the front of their door was to have the word on it. On their doorpost in everywhere of their house was to have the word on it. They were to be constantly reminded of what God had done and the greatness of God and the love of God. Do you know that they had the word written everywhere? Do you know that every young Jewish boy that at that time when he was 14, he would start studying and start knowing the word and know it to such a point where he could memorize it and speak it back to others who needed to know it. That is what they were to teach their children. Again, we need to teach our children the Word in such a way. And I, and I say this not to condemn anyone, but I say it to stir you up. How often do you read the Word to your children? How often do you gather with them and tell them of the great things that God has done? How often do you take your storybook and tell them about Moses and the ark? Tell them about Jesus Tell them about the Lamb. Tell them about all these different stories that are in the Bible. How many of you take the time to do it? They were to observe this thing as an ordinance forever. And we must do that to teach our children the right way. Verse 25. And it will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as He promised, that you shall keep this service. Do you know that these days, not many people still practice this? There's, there's many that are faithful that do, but a good majority of the Jewish people today, they do not practice what was taught to them. Well, God says, when you come to the land which the Lord your God will give you, that was the good land, the promised land. He said, you need to keep this service. And I know it's tough, but do you know that when times are good, we have a tendency not to remember God and what He's done. And so we have to remember that even when times are good, when we're in the good land, when we have a lot in abundance, we need to keep this and remember this, that it's always been by God's hand that we are blessed. Verse 26, And it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? What do you mean by this service? gives us an opportunity to tell them what the Lord has done. It gives us an opportunity to share with them. Because children, when they see you pray, do you know that they're going to ask you, what were you doing in there, Daddy? Mommy, what, what were you doing with your hands like this? What does that mean? But the child is never going to ask you a question if they don't see you ever doing anything for the Lord. Daddy, why were, you, why were you talking to that guy that looked really bad on the street? What, what, why were you telling them that? Mommy, why, why did you go in there and why did you feed that person? Why did you do that? Daddy, why do we always got to go to church every Sunday and Wednesday? 
It opens the door for conversation for your children to be introduced to new aspects of the Lord and His service and His ways. Our children, we should be really ingrained in them and get it ingrained in them that they need to know every aspect of the Lord and why we do what we do for God. They need to know it. Verse 27, that you shall say it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshiped. You know why they bowed their heads and worshiped? When they realized the mercy that was given to them, that there in all of Egypt, somebody had lost one of their firstborn and it did not affect them. How many of you, when you've heard of somebody that you loved or somebody that you knew and you were close with, when you heard that they had passed away, that you thank God that even in your sin, He still saved you and He didn't take you before and you died in your sins. I know I'm happy. You see, the people understood what God did. They understood that the Lord had delivered them and He was delivering them and He was going to take them to the good land. The people bowed their heads in worship because they knew who God was and by His mighty hand, He delivered them. I bet all of you, if you just look over your life and look at the times that you could have died, the time that you could have gotten in an accident, the time that you could have got shot, the time that you could have got strangled, the time that you could have got hurt, the time that something evil might have happened to you, but it was God's hand that preserved you. God's hand that kept you. And then you remember how He saved you. If I look back at what God has done over my life, I'd be drenched with tears because no words could possibly display how much He has done for me. So the people bowed their heads and they worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron so they did. You can come here, you can hear, and you can listen to the words of life that go out. You can hear the word of the Lord being proclaimed and you can hear of what God is doing in the lives of others. But if you don't go away from here and put into practice the words that the Lord has given you, it's going to be of no use to you. And it's not going to help you. Your situation ain't going to get better. Your life is not going to be uh, greater and greater down the road, no. If you don't put it into practice, it's useless. What is the word that we always go back to? Do not be hearers only, but be doers of the Word. You have to be a doer of the Word. When you hear things like, yeah, I need to be a better witness to my kids. I need to read to them. I need to take this personally so that my kids aren't like those kids that Pastor Len was talking about today, that they grew up and they did not know the Lord. We take it to heart what the Word of God is saying. And we display it in our lives. And we live it out. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that you're so awesome, Lord, in all that you do. As your word displayed and declared to us through Peter, we need to constantly be reminded of these things, Father. That as your word goes out, we should think of it as a life preserver that saves us from doing wrong things. Help us to live out your word and not just speak about it. Help us, Lord, to apply it in everyday life. Father, we need you in every area of life. Without your guidance, your wisdom, your knowledge, we are left to our flesh. And you have declared to us that in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Father, help us through these times. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are interested in visiting the Wild Ministries, we are located at 5700 South Country Club Way, Tempe, Arizona, 85283. Our Sunday service begins at 10 a.m. and ends at 12 noon. Our Bible study services are on Wednesdays beginning at 7.30 p.m. to 9 p.m. For families with children, the Well Ministries has classes available for children 6 months to 17 years old. If you have any questions, you can contact the senior pastor, Len Andrews, at 602-460-2195 or the associate pastor, Ryan Reed, at 602-434-4073. Come drink at the well. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. Goodbye and God bless.